Good morning, West Bowles Church. And uh, I've heard that there's something big going on today at one o'clock. I'm not sure exactly what it is, but something big. So I really hope that I have all of you out here before one o'clock. And we'll see how that goes. I'm a little long today, but uh, oh, a little long. Yeah, I didn't even plan on that. It just happened. Just humor. Anyway, uh, so uh, I'll have everybody out here uh, in time to watch the, the big game. Well, it's 2014, and uh, it's, a, uh, it's a new year, and I can't wait to see what God has in store for West Bulls this year. It's going to be a big year, and I'm excited. Well, the series title that we've been going through is Built Bulls Tough, Building a Faith That Lasts. Now, instantly, you can tell a guy came up with the sermon series title, right? I mean, it has words like building, built. It has words like tough in it. And, you know, and, and we stole it from Ford, all right? And if you're wondering who stole that logo and slogan from Ford, it was Brian Rickman. So if anybody wants to sue Brian Rickman, you can just sue him because we took it, you know, we took that from him. Now, um, so a guy came up with the sermon series title. Now, imagine if a woman like possibly Jan Fugler came up with the sermon series title. Let's go ahead and take a look here. This is what would happen if she came up with it. It'd be uh, a makeover for West Bowles. Do we have it yet? Is it up yet? No. Okay, it's coming. Go, go. No, now. Cut. Keep going. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. I don't know what's going on. I can't see you. It's so bright. Anyway. Okay. Well, I'm just going to go and get, get started. It's the discipline of service this morning, and that's what we're going to be talking about. So for thousands of years, people would have to walk everywhere, right? I mean, people, they were always walking on their feet, unless, of course, they had, you know, a horse or something like that. Everybody had to walk to get from point A to point B. And nowadays, I mean, we have a lot of options you know, we can fly, we can drive, we can bus, we can train. I mean, there's a lot of different things um, that we can use to get ourselves around, right? Now, oh, okay, there we go, discipline of service. Can we real go back really quick? Let's see if Jan did it, if Jan made up the service. There we go. A makeover for West Bowl is creating a beautiful faith with Bob there down at the bottom. It's just really cute. Now, now if I came up with the sermon series title, it would look like this. Um, you know, dressing up bowls, creating an outfit that lasts forever. You know, these, these are just, these are great sermon series titles that we could do maybe in the future. Well, okay, so walking. We're always walking around. And I was thinking, the only one in here um, that can remember the days where walking was the main source of transportation would be Bob Fugler, all right? I mean, for the rest of us, we all know about trains and planes and automobiles, but Bob would remember those days. Now, personally, I don't walk anywhere, you know. Uh, my mailbox is 100 feet from my house, and I'll jump in my car, I'll drive to the mailbox, I'll get the mail, then I drive back home. I mean, why, uh, why walk when you can drive? You know, it's so much easier. And uh, so now, before we uh, jump into the scripture, um, we have to realize that in the days of Jesus, they walked everywhere. And they wore sandals and they walked on dirty roads from city to city and place to place. They walked everywhere. 
So I wonder if kind of like nowadays we have like that dream car that we want. You know, we want that Mercedes G-Wagon or whatever it is. I'm wondering if back in the day in Jesus' time, if they had dream sandals. Like, oh yeah, the TI-17 Air Jordans year 31. Ooh, they're fancy. Nice lines. Have you seen the leather option on those sandals? You know, so I'm wondering if back then they had that. But they all, they all wore sandals back then. And their feet were constantly getting dirty because they were walking on these, these dirty roads. Now, my feet, they never get dirty because I always have clean socks on with nice, clean shoes. You know, and also, I drive everywhere. So my, my feet never get dirty. And to be honest with everybody, my feet are really good looking. I should just take off my shoe and my socks right now and show you. I mean, Chelsea, you know what I'm saying? These feet are good looking feet. You know, it's got a nice arch, no calluses. I lotion them up every day. They're nice and soft, you know, and, and it's the perfect amount of manly hair, manly hair. They're not bald, nor are they hobbit-looking like Nathan Harrison's, you know? It's like the perfect amount of toe to, like, foot hair, you know? So, and they're just the right size. They're not big. They're not small. I call them medium size. You know, it's a, it's a good size foot. So as we're reading the scripture together this morning, don't imagine my feet or Nathan's hobbit hairy feet, you know? Think about the disciples' feet and what they looked like and what they smelled like. We were going to read the story, uh, we were going to read the story of Jesus washing his disciples' feet through the eyes of John this morning. So open your Bibles, or you can look on the screen, and open up your Bibles to John chapter 13, 1 through 17. And we're going to go ahead and read all of these verses. They're so good. All right, Jesus washes his disciples' feet, John 13, 1 through 17. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my feet as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. 
I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Whoa. Well, he need to stop for a second. We need to really think about what is going on here. We have heard this story so many times that we become, we become numb to the power of these verses. Jesus, God himself, creator of everything, creator of heaven, of earth, of our souls, of life, of trees and plants and water and the elements and matter and space and stars and planets creepy, those, those little creepy, funny animals that are at the bottom of the ocean. You know, our cells, the mitochondria that are in our cells that are the powerhouse for our cells. You know, those chemicals that are released in our brain when we fall in love. The atoms and the protons and you and me and billions of information and coding that is found in our DNA. So we're talking creator of everything humbles himself, dresses himself up like a slave with a towel around his waist and washes all, including Judas's, all of the disciples' smelly, gross, calloused, dirty, ugly feet. This story of Jesus, it should it, it should shock us. It should confuse us. Why? It's upside down. It doesn't make sense. Jesus, the guest of honor, is doing the job of a Gentile slave. Jesus shows what it means to be a servant. In Matthew 20, 28, it reads, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Now, what happens a lot of time is we look at Christ and go, wow, I really admire what he did. Wow, that's powerful. That's a great story. But some, we have to stop. Christ is not looking for admirers, but rather disciples that want to follow and imitate a way of life. Charles Moore, a friend of mine um, who wrote a book that uh, paraphrased uh, some writings from Kierkegaard, he wrote, the difference between an admirer and a follower still remains, no matter where you are. The admirer never makes any true sacrifices. He always plays it safe. Though in words and phrases and songs, he is endless about how highly he prizes Christ. He renounces nothing, gives up nothing, will not reconstruct his life, will not be what he admires, and will not let his life express what it supposedly admires. No, no. Not so with the follower. The follower aspires with all of his strength, with all of his will, to be, to be what he admires. Christ wants us to follow his example and wash each other's feet. Jesus says in the verses 12 through 17, do you understand what I've done to you? What I've done for you? Now that I have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I've set for you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. 
And I love the story of Jesus because it shows us that we are to serve and love each other through tangible, practical, and sometimes seemingly uh, menial tasks. Another aspect of these verses that I really like is the fact that Jesus even washed Judas' feet. Jesus knew Judas was about ready to betray him, yet he washed his feet anyway. That is powerful. That is upside down. It's so easy to serve and love those who love us, but to serve those who are against us, who don't like us, who gossip about us, we really need the power of the Spirit to humble ourselves to wash their feet. With these verses, we have to remember that there's not only the practical side of washing each other's feet, but the symbolic meaning behind it. Jesus washes away our sin and gives us a spiritual cleansing. For me, when I came to Christ almost 19 years ago, I needed a spiritual cleansing. I needed my feet to be washed. I needed to find a new way to live. What I was doing, how I was living, was not working. I was empty, I was lost, I was lonely selfish. I was without direction and tired in search of something that would give me lasting joy. Christ grabbed a hold of my heart and gave me a spiritual cleansing on March 10th, 1995. And every day since then, I've had to look to Jesus to wash my feet. Now, from a practical standpoint, Jesus, um, Jesus washed my feet. Now I must humbly wash other people's feet. When I became a Christian, I thought that was going to be easy because I thought, oh, well, now I'm a Christian. I'm connected to God, and I'll live this selfless life. I was wrong. I think about myself every day, all day long. I'm stuck in a rut. Years ago, I would do a lot of uh, dirt biking, and sometimes after a rainstorm, and people would ride their bikes on the dirt paths, grooves would be made into these trails. And so if you go out the following day, um, there would be these ruts in the path after the mud had hardened. And so as you're driving your dirt bike, sometimes if you got caught in the groove, it'd be tough to get out because your front and your back tires would be lodged into these ruts. Getting out of these ruts can be scary and risky because one wrong move would leave you, you know, flying off your bike into a tree. It would take skill, energy, a plan, and muscle to get out of these ruts. Same with the rut of selfishness. We must break free from our addiction to ourselves. We are all addicted to ourselves. If we don't think that, we're, we're probably, we're in denial. Selfishness is probably one of the greatest uh, reasons for unpeace in our life. And I don't know about you, but I'm selfish. I'm constantly thinking about myself and my problems and how does this benefit me or affect me or what's my status or my image or am I funny, am I like, you know, all those things. My worries and me and me and me and me. So how do we move beyond or away from ourselves? The antidote for selfishness in our lives is by loving and serving others the way Christ did. This is a discipline because it goes against our very nature. Our nature is selfish and we must allow God to change us to live a selfless life. 
In the book, uh, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster, he has two different kinds of servants in his book. One is the self-righteous servant, and the other is the true servant. The self-righteous servant, it's how do you help those people? And it's frantic, and it's for personal gain. It's about points in heaven and external rewards and appreciating a human applause, and it's the need for results. That's a self-righteous servant. And then there's a true servant, and a true servant only comes in relationship with the divine. A true servant listens to those whispered promptings and then responds. A true servant sometimes does those hidden or small things. It's no need for payback or results. A true servant is a servant to all, to everybody. It's a lifestyle. It's a pattern. And it builds community. Serving others like Christ takes time, effort, a plan, practice, and risk. And we live in a culture that teaches us to think I'm the best or I'm going to take care of myself. Whereas when we serve others, it is saying you are important. You are loved. You are valued. We are being counterculture when we set ourselves aside. In John 13, Christ is showing us how to live an others first attitude through our actions. We had friends over the other night. We had... Um, Ross and uh, Katie Cooper, well, now, now they're Orbit, and they told us that their church in their uh, church's motto in Seattle is love God, love people, and make a difference. It's really close to ours. But when we love people, when we serve them by washing their feet, we make a difference in this world. Our acts of service through, through Christ echo for eternity. Some of my favorite verses in the Bible. Because right now, I'm, 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 not, I'm not saying that we are saved by works. We all know that. But let's look what it says here in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, um, 8 through 10. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are God's hands and feet. I am, you are, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you. We are God's hands and feet, and he has work for us to do. So now, let's take a look at the practical application of discipline of service in the here and now, uh, because that's how my mind works. I'll never forget, we were on a youth staff retreat, and we were all talking, and there were candles and praise music, and it was dimly lit, and everyone's talking and sharing and crying, and then it got to my turn to share about what's going on in my life. And again, this is how practical I am. I'm just, just like, oh yeah, well, I really think God, I think God is telling me to start recycling. I really think I need to recycle. And the reasons are X, Y, Z, you know, and everyone's just like laughing at me. I killed the mood. But that's just how my mind works. So let's look at four areas in our life, and I'm gonna go as quickly as possible, and, uh, and examine how we are practicing the spiritual discipline of service. So how are you, how are we, how am I? Washing the feet of others in our family, church, community, and world. 
So right now, I'd like everybody to grab their cell phones. I'm telling you to grab your cell phones. You can pull them out right now if you'd like, because I want you to make some notes. Or you can grab a pen, grab your bulletin. If you have a tablet, you can grab that. If you want to scratch it in on your hand, if you got dry skin, if you don't lotion them like I do, you can like scratch it in your hand. But everybody grab something so they can write them. And so we're going to look at these four areas, family, church, community, and world. And as we go through these four areas, write down what you're currently doing and what you'd like to add. And with all these areas, maybe write down one or two things. Don't go crazy. All right, so the first area is family. Family, being a humble servant in our family is tough. It is not easy after a long day of work or school or whatever we're doing. It's so easy to come home, sit on the couch, watch TV, and do nothing. How do we serve our family members, our children, our parents, our siblings, our aunts, our uncles, sisters, brothers, spouse, whatever? We tend to get comfortable and lazy and and unappreciative and apathetic around the people that we see or we're around the most. We need to show our family how much we care by doing something. Jesus showed how much he cared by kneeling down and washing the disciples' feet. It doesn't have to be these big pie-in-the-sky abstract things. They can be simple, lowly, mundane things. Putting the laundry away, loading the dishwasher, vacuuming the house, or, or picking up something from the store. Little things can be big things to others in God. Mother Teresa said, um, you can tell it's kind of on the side here. Mother Teresa said, I can't do great things, only small things with great love. That needs to be us. I know for my wife, when she comes home from work, from her accounting job, because she's on the computer all day long, it means the world to her when I say, yeah, c- come, come sit here. Let me give you, uh, you know, a five-minute back massage. That means so much to her. Or the other day, I changed out a doorknob because she wanted uh, brushed nickel instead of gold on a doorknob, you know? It means, those little things can mean so much. Now, one area, because I'm sounding like a super servant right now, and I'm definitely not. One area I know I could change is it would mean the world if I actually could sit through an episode of Grey's Anatomy. I mean, that would mean so much to her, but I just can't do it. I hate that show. I'll never forget the episode where like, uh, gosh, what did they do? They, they, had a, they were stuck in an elevator and uh, this guy needed open heart surgery and they used like a paper clip to perform open heart surgery. I was like, I'm done. I can handle superheroes flying all around the world saving us from aliens. I can't handle paper clips. Anyway, so, but I know that would mean the world to her. Maybe that's what I'll put on my last. Anyway, or like at Christmas. I know I just sat around, I did nothing. You know? Ah, another area of service. Um, that we can do in our lives is listening to each other. Sometimes we, we know each other so well that we already know what they're going to say or what they're going to complain about or we've already heard that story before or, you know, we're just coming up with what we're going to say right after they stop talking or we already know how to solve that problem. How amazing would it be if we could truly hear one another, if we were actually listening, if we genuinely were interested in what they were saying? When we practice the service of listening in our families, it creates a powerful bond of connection, safety, love, and unity. Too many families have very little real conversations or quality time. Uh, there's a study uh, that just, just released recently. The average American parent spends roughly five minutes of quality time per kid per day. That's what they've just 
just released that. That's sad to me. Occasionally, we try to have quality time uh, by having real conversations at dinner. And now, that is tough. Because for all of us, I think we can easily get into a rut of conversation. We just talk about the same topics over and over every single day. But the other day, we asked the kids, when do they feel the most love from us? It's interesting what they said. Jagger said, when I wrestle with him. Uh, Lane said, oh no, sorry, whoa, messed up. Yeah, he was wrestling. Yeah, he was, okay. So for Jagger, he told me it was when I played the Wii with him. It made him feel special and loved. For Lane, it was when I wrestled with him. And for Gianna, she loves it when I go to this father-daughter dance they have at the school. It means so much to them. And it was interesting because Lane's answer for me was different than what he said about Chelsea. Lane says he feels the most love from Chelsea when, um, I have this written down here, when they have a movie night together. So it's important, it's, I think it's important to ask these questions. Why? What if we spend five years of serving one of our family members a certain way and they don't even feel love or experience love that way? We all have different love languages and, and we need to figure out what they are in each other's lives. So we need to know each other well enough and ask the right questions so that we know what it means to best wash their feet. What it means to best wash their feet. Husbands, how we treat our, our mom is most likely how our children will treat their mom. And if, if you are married and, you, and how you treat your spouse is most likely how your kids are gonna grow up and treat their wife or husband someday. So how we love and humbly serve our families now it affects generations. When we go home to our family or to a party, do we expect to be served or do we serve? Now, I have to be careful. I'm not saying that we can't allow or accept others to do stuff for us. There's even the service of being served. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And in, in play, there are a lot of things going on here, but one of them is humility and pride. We must practice letting people serve us without the feeling that we need to reciprocate that action. So how can we become better servants in our families in 2014? I will give you three seconds. Maybe write something quick right down right now. Or type something out real quick. Number two, the church. Why is West Bowles still here after 29 years? Obviously, God still wants us here. And we have a huge and faithful, uh, we have a huge core of faithful and humble servants. West Bowles is known for and seems to attract people that desire to wash other people's feet. West Bowles has been literally and figuratively built by servants. The chairs that you're sitting in right now, volunteers put those in. The paint, volunteers, the ce- right now the ceiling paint, that was sprayed by people in our congregation volunteering. The, the cross that's here, the, the, the curtains that go up and down, the Christmas decorations that always seem to magically go up and magically come down, and the Christmas program and all those different things, and um, it's all volunteers. Volunteers are doing all of those things. You look at these purple info sheets, almost all volunteers. Randy and Roxanne Sullivan, Mike Sexton, Dennis and Diane Ross, Dave McDonald, the Awana Group, volunteers, VBS, Bertha that comes every single morning, Stephen, ministry, all volunteers, Eric and Boyd and Kurt, and I mean, you can go on, choir and worship team, coffee bar, greeters, all of them, volunteers. Volunteers. 
all the youth workers, volunteers. Sherry, that we just saw her on, on this uh, We Are West Bulls video. She comes in on some Mondays and helps out uh, around the office. She volunteers. People are downstairs right now teaching our kids about Christ and changing diapers. Volunteers. When it snows, we have a group of people that show up at 7 a.m. They, they shovel for us, for you and me. Volunteers. Our church has been not built from the, from the top down. This church has been built from the bottom up. Our congregational members look for needs, then do something about it for the sake of advancing God's kingdom. Jesus washed our feet, both spiritually and physically. How are we doing that for others? To serve as Jesus did for the benefit of another shows the deepest level of love and humility. Is your spiritual life a little stagnant? Look around for a need. Step up, start serving, and see how God moves your heart. The church body functions when we all work together and do our part. I was thinking about Kyle and Catherine Christensen. They saw a need at church for young married couples without kids, and they stepped up and started a group. Or Boyd Pickens, he saw that the grass was getting too long and saw, I don't know, the trees needed trimmed and he started a very manly group of men named the Outdoor Beautification Team, all right? <laughs> and they beautified this place, you know? How are you, how am I, how are we washing each other's feet in the context of church? Has God been laying something on your heart to do for the church? Let's take that step forward in 2014, and respond to God's prompting. Now, I'm not saying that if you're new to West Bowls that you need to start a class for, uh, you know, singles between the ages 31 and 34 or become the new, you know, uh, director of outreach development of spiritual growth. I'm not saying that. If we put our level of involvement or service on a scale of one to 10, I'm just saying if you're at a one, move to a two. Join a class or something. Or if you're at a five, how do you move to a six? Or if you're at an eight or a four and you you're doing all that you can do, just stay there and be content. So in the context of being a church, a, a servant in the body of Christ, what are you doing? What would you like to do for 2014? Maybe write, jot something down really quickly. Number three, and I'm going as fast as I can. Uh, community. Community is the neighborhood in which we live, the health clubs, the organizations that we're a part of, the stores that we shop at, the school our kids go to. Maybe our place of employment. How are we serving the people in our community? Another thing that stood out to me in uh, Richard Foster's uh, Celebration of Discipline book uh, was the service of common courtesy. Are we gentle? Do we show courtesy to people? Yes, please, thank you. Maybe in letters of, of an appreciation to our teachers. Do we open the door for each other? Do we show proper respect? For our, for our family, one thing we try to do is tip well. Why? Because they're serving us. So I can show my appreciation to them by being courteous and tipping. Just a side note, another study. I love studies. And this is real quick. They've done studies on the groups of people that tip the least amount. You know what, game, you know what group came in as the worst tippers? Sunday morning, afternoon, Sunday evening, Christian churchgoers. The smallest tips on average for a group. What are practical individual ways we can serve people in our community. When we shovel, maybe shovel, shovel a little bit further and do our neighbor's sidewalk. Maybe making a meal for somebody that's sick in our neighborhood. Or how about letting somebody have that parking spot 
you know, right up front rather than flipping them off. You just, you're curious and just say, okay, okay. You, you can take the closer spot. How is West Bull serving others in the community? A few quick examples. How fast collects clothes for the VA hospital every single week? Our church donated over 2,000 cans to the local food bank in December. The Iwana group bought presents for every single kid uh, last month that goes to the Westside Christian School in Denver. Pattern after Jesus uh, made Quillow's fleece blankets uh, for domestic violence shelters, the VA, and the Children's Oncology, Oncology Unit. The Keisha group feeds inner city homeless every month. The women to women went to Harmony Point Nursing Home and bought presents for all the people there. The Christmas program reached out to 1,000 people in our community. And I can go on and on and on. What are we good at? What do we like to do? And how are we using that for the people in this community? Can you cook? Can you fix a car? Can you knit? Whatever it is, how are you using it to serve the community? And remember, it's not about serving them out of pity. It's a privilege to humbly serve others in our community. By serving them, we're showing that we love them, that, they have, that we're speaking value into their life. We're letting them know that we care for them and God cares for them. The Acacia Group fed a uh, homeless man last year. And after he got done eating, he, um, he said, you know what? Society sees us as worthless, throwaway people. But by you bringing just a little food to us, it, uh, how, how do they say it? It says we have value and worth now. Something so simple. All right, so number three, community. Maybe write something down. Something that you maybe would like to add or that you could do differently for 2014. The world, sometimes, this is number four, sometimes we get stuck in the rut of thinking only about, and this is a lot, but our families, our church, and our community. But that we also forget, that, but sometimes we forget that there are 7.3 billion other people in this world. And it's tough to see them because they're really not kind of, they're not in our face. We don't see them because they're out there. But what are you and I doing to wash their feet? Sadly, a lot of times it seems like the world as Americans serves us. They make our stuff. They buy our stuff. They take our customer service phone calls. They watch our stuff. They listen to our stuff. Then we get rich off those things. And then we travel with that money to their countries so that they can do what? Serve us. Luke 12, 48 um, for everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. Like it or not, we are the kings and queens of this world. And Jesus is the king. Jesus is the king, the king, but served like a slave. What if we were to forego our annual family fun trip to go on a mission trip? How radical and upside down would that be? In Philippians, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. How are we going to wash the feet of people in this world? There was this boy walking along the beach, and he was throwing these uh, starfish, one at a time, um, back into the ocean, into the water, to save them. And this whole beach was just filled with starfish. And a man, by, a man walked by and said, what are you doing? You can't possibly save them all. You can't possibly make a difference. Look at all these starfish. The boy bent over and he picked up another starfish. 
and he threw it into the ocean and said, I made a difference to that one. How are we making a difference by serving others in this world? A few quick examples from West Bowles, from people that have gone to West Bowles or go to West Bowles. I look at Kelly um, Covert, and she sits on this boat and she travels all around, and you know what she does? She evangelizes. She's been doing this for three or four years through YWAM. I look at Tony Lapina, a great friend of ours. Um, He worked here for many, many years, actually, and he just recently died, just a few months ago. And uh, he spent many years working in Africa. I look at this girl named Pamela, uh, Scanter Valley, who grew up through our youth group, and for the last 10 years, she's been working in Asia with uh, prostitutes and children. I look at Christiana Falbo, who has been helping people get clean water in Papua New Guinea. They make filters for people there so they can have clean water to drink. I look at Brian Burns, John Trovinger, and, and Dave Larson. Every year, they cross the Mexican border and deliver shoe boxes that we make for, you know, these kids. And they deliver them to people in Juarez. They cross over the border. I don't know about you, but I want to cross over that border. Or Maya, last week. Every year, they, go, they do a, a mission trip to Thailand through Shepherd's Gate. These people inspire me. Now, I know that not all of us can get up and go someplace, but we can all do something. We can make a difference for that one. We can buy a, go- a goat through one.org, or we can help get clean water to somebody through adventconspiracy.com, or we can do something locally for the people of Juarez through mission ministries. Are we being Christ's servants to the people in this world? So write down what we are currently doing or maybe what we'd like to add for 2014 in the context of being a servant in the world. I'll give you about three seconds. So we have family, church, community, and world. How are we following Christ by serving others and washing their feet in these four areas? The discipline of service reminds us of what we are living for and helps us to forget ourselves. Like I said earlier, serving is contrary to our very own selfish human nature. We need to break out of the rut of our self-centered lifestyle and make a movement or a step towards following Christ's way of humble service to others. In the counseling psychology world, we have this thing called fake it until you make it. So it's a therapy technique where you go through the routines as if you were enjoying them, despite the fact initially it feels forced and you continue until it becomes real. Service may be a discipline. It may be tough. Moving to that next step in our area of becoming more like Christ and serving others, it may be difficult. It may be awkward. It may feel forced. But we have to realize Jesus was not focused on knowledge. Jesus did not come to set up a religion or to be a spiritual guru, but to show us a way of life he wanted us to follow. If he was trying to do these things, he probably would have written something down. In his 33 years of life, it's only recorded once that he wrote something down, and it, 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 uh, it was erased almost immediately in the sand. And the Bible records very little of what he said. I mean, you can read all of the red letter, what Jesus said in the Bible in probably 45 minutes. So, it's not about right thinking or theology. It's about 
right living. Jesus, I'm finishing right now. Jesus wants us to follow his way of humble service. On the third time he appeared to the disciples, this is in John 21, this is right after the resurrection. What is he doing? What is Jesus, God creator of everything, doing? He made a fire and cooked some bread and fish and said, come and have breakfast. Christ comes back from the dead and one of the last things that is recorded in John's gospel is Jesus serving breakfast to the disciples. So in 2014, how are we going to be servants like Christ in our families, church, community, and in the world? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for what you did on the cross for us. Father God, we also know that you came to show us the best and right way to live. Father God, we just pray that in 2014, we can become better servants for you. And we pray for all these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody, for letting me share this morning. Appreciate it. And uh, have a great day.